Hey gang, welcome back to The Hustle. Okay, not enough people are taking me up on this challenge about writing a review in iTunes. If you have an iTunes account and you've listened to a couple of The Hustle podcasts and you have an opinion either way, I urge you to go in there and write a review. It can be long or short. It can be good or bad. It's reviews that make things like The Hustle pop up in searches so that people who are looking for like-minded podcasts out there will find it and hopefully come to dig some of the guests we've had on here as much as we do. So I encourage you please to do that. All right, this week the guest is Pepe Castro. This guy has been around for 50 years. He started with one of those Nuggets era psychedelic rock bands, garage rock bands, in the late 60s called the Blues Magoos, who had a top 10 hit in 1967 with We Ain't Got Nothing Yet. That band ended. He went on in the early 70s to be a member of this kind of pretty traditional, folky, kind of Tin Pan Alley rock group called Barnaby By. He put out a couple albums. It never reached quite the same height. After that, he joined this very strange, almost prog hard rock group called Wiggy Bits. They put out one album, that's a wild one. That didn't go anywhere either, really. And then in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, he started a band called Balance. That's how I found him. About a year ago, I discovered Balance. If I could, I would make this podcast just listening to the entire first Balance album. It is perfect rock of the late 70s, early era, early 80s era. So if you like things like Journey, or Foreigner, or Toto, or those kinds of things, you would love Balance. And they had one hit in 1981 with Breaking Away that you're listening to now. That reached number 22 in the charts in 81. Uh, another key member of this band was Bob Kulik, whose brother is Bruce Kulik, who played with Kiss for a while. In fact, Pepe has worked with Kiss, specifically Paul Stanley. He sang on his solo album, and he tells a really great Paul Stanley story near the end of this podcast. It's hilarious. All of that is really interesting, but what may be even more interesting are the jingles and commercials that Pepe has either written or sang on that you know by heart. Hundreds of them, literally. This is the guy behind some of these immortal tunes and catchphrases that you think about all the time. This is the guy behind that. It's crazy. He is such a good guy. And stay tuned to the end of the podcast because there's a giveaway. I've got some uh, some albums that Pepe has sent to me to send to you, so listen up at the end. He called me from his home in New York. I became obsessed with the first Balance album recently, and oh. as soon as I heard that, I thought I got to talk to these guys. I got to find these guys. Have so, you have heard the second one? I have. I'm less obsessed with the second Balance album. Ah, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> David, that's the, that's the way that goes. You know, in America, the uh, the first Balance album, people really loved. The second one, I guess, was a little too edgy for them. But in yeah. Europe, they, uh, they went crazy over it. You come on like a hurricane Blowing kisses that knock me down I like the way you play your game
two distinct audiences for both albums for I guess different reasons, but wow. Um, but it's all it's all good. Yeah, Europe far and away love In for the Count more. No way. Yeah, more than the first one. I think they're both great because there's so much cool stuff well, on each one. Sure. You know? I don't dislike the second one, but the first one to me is absolutely perfect. So I always kick these things off with sort of telling a story about how I discovered the person I'm talking to or an anecdote about them. Hmm. And I found you, or I found Balance anyway, maybe a little over a year ago. And Hmm. this is one reason why I love podcasts. Because you can, any topic that interests you or anything you want to know more about or any person you want to learn about, you just type it in there and then chances are there's a podcast about them and you can learn. And so I was searching for, do you remember the band The Producers? from the early 80s, kind of a power pop, new wave band. Anyway, I really liked them, and I was searching for them in podcasts just to see if anything had ever been done about them already. And something came up, and I can't remember the name of it. I think it was called Rare 80s. And there was only maybe a dozen. Yes, that's how I found you. So there were only maybe a dozen episodes, and there wasn't any talking. It was just someone plays like three songs from a really obscure 80s band, that's my period. You know, I'm 42. That's uh, that's kind of my wheelhouse for the 80s, especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Balance was on there. And I don't even remember what the three songs were, but I just oh. thought, this is some of the greatest stuff I've ever heard. So about six months ago, I finally bought the first album. I haven't listened to anything as much as I've listened to that first Balance album the last oh. six months. Oh. Oh, better late you know, than never. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, the thing that blows me away, and I'm wondering if you feel this way too, is... I listen to it, and every song on there is a hit to me. Sounds as clear as day like a hit. I mean, if you liked all those other AOR bands that were around at the time, and I think you kind of cross genres, but if you were into, like, the Journeys or the Totos or the Foreigners or those kind of bands that were killing it back then, why would you not release every track off the Balance album (laughs) and make millions? Well, the politics of dancing, you know, a band usually is a band, but they don't have the wherewithal to be the record company. And the yeah, band. yeah. And the whole thing, you know, you know, we pretty much we pretty much put the music together. Um, yeah, the first album uh, was definitely more to my liking personally as well, because that was my vision for the band. You know, it still amazes me. How you'd answer when I call Who would have thought That you'd have been there at all Well, could we sit and talk it out Maybe we could find a way Yeah. Kind of, we kind of went with it, and you know, I uh, I do love both, 
but the first album had my stamp on it, as the second did, but more of my vision too, you know. Balance was definitely a band to be reckoned with. Creatively, yeah. we were top-notch, without a doubt. Yeah. And there yeah. was nothing on either record that I would walk away from and just say, you know, oh, this band's trashy by any means. Yeah, you know? no, no it was on a, it, The bar was raised really high. You know, it was just consummate professionals. Everybody was great at what they did. Yeah, I just, I listen to it and I shake my head and I just think, what more can people want? Wouldn't you encourage some band with promise to come up with something half as good as the first Balance album? Don't get me wrong, the second one has its virtues too, but I'm just thinking in terms of marketability and radio-friendly sound. Like I said, every single song on that first album could have been a hit. I'm just baffled as to why it wouldn't have been. So let me ask you this. You mentioned that Europe loves the second album. Were you bigger other places than you were in the States? The weird thing about Balance was that there was a huge audience for us in Europe, but we never really got to them. We never toured. We never did any of that. And on the release of the second record, the label, which was Epic Portrait, really had a Black Friday. They fired half of their staff. So yeah. all the promotional capabilities and everything of really putting the record out was really a fraction of what it was when the first one came out. Also, the label felt the second record was a little too heavy for the follow-up, and so their heart probably wasn't in, to, in it as much right. as first but Europe embraced it and wow. loved the band and the funny thing was is that the band really never knew the strength of how much we were revered in Europe really yeah and last summer we went and did a balance reunion in Sweden and it was off the hook the crowd wow. were amazing it was the first time we reunited since the band broke up in 19 probably 81 82 oh and we went over there, and we played a few shows, and it was thrilling. It was unbelievable. And wow. these, they flew in from Ireland, from England. I, yeah. We were hearing stories of people driving seven and eight hours from different corners of no Europe way. just to see the band, because the band had never been seen. And so we had a fabulous time. And uh, there's talk about us doing Sweden Rock Festival in 2016. So, you know. which Seriously? Yeah, wow, yeah. so balance lives on. Yeah, balance lives on, <laughs> exactly. And the fact that we went out there and did it was great, and we had a ball. I have balance. There's a balance Facebook page up. There's also a, oh a grassroots movement now for, to have balance at the 2016 Sweden Rock Festival. No so, uh, you know, there's still something out there for the band. Wow. You know, we can went I, over there, and it was just amazing. I mean, Can I ask how big the crowd was that you, that you played to over there? Well, wherever we played, it was it, it, it was crowded. But you know, we did do clubs, but they were nice size clubs. You know, sure. Oh. and you know, and they were packed, and the fans were in your face. The mere they, fact that there's enough demand that they would ask you to come over there and be able to have you play. I mean, could you even could you do that time the after the shows? And all we did was sign autographs and merch which was wow. unbelievable, which we, we couldn't believe it, you know. Yeah. And uh, a lot of fans. I mean, I had people show up with seven or eight, nine records as obscure as me singing on a Michael Bolton record or a Ron uh -huh. record, yeah. songs I've written for Cher. I mean, the Kiss stuff that we've all, all done. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it wow. was just, it was thrilling. It was it was really That's pretty cool. Amazing. And so it was a great reunion for us. It was nice to see. And it let us know the strength of, you know, the kind yeah. of impression the band made in Europe. So, 
Good. It was just great, you know. But a funny footnote, if you do research and you look up a band called Wiggy Bits... I've been try- I see it on your webpage. I'm trying to find stuff. I haven't been able to find any Wiggy Bit stuff. Well, well listen to when I you mean. do, look at the producer on it, and you'll see Jimmy Iovine as well. Seriously? Yeah. When, did, when was Wiggy Bits then? What, Wiggy what Bits was, was 19. Wiggy Bits was 1976. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way. Time. Way ahead of it. Way ahead of the curve. Wow. The band was. Okay, great. I got to get my hands then on Wiggy Bits. Yeah, Wiggy Bits was after Barnaby Bye. Uh, okay. Barnaby Bye I did in like between 72 and 75. There's a girl who lives around the corner With innocence in all the clothes she wears In a small proportion body Look something holy With ribbon in her hair Skin quite fair But she's not the girl they think she is at all Mama pulls a baby She's Papa's little lady But in her mind she knows she's got them Now, I saw something. Did you reform Barnaby Bye? Because there was a clip on YouTube. I was looking up Pepe Castro interview on YouTube, and there was something on there, and I thought it was you promoting Barnaby Bye. Do I have that wrong? Oh, no, you have it right. Barnaby Bye, we reunited around eight years ago, and every year we go out and we do a few dates, and we have a ball. Barnaby Bye, wow. we went to Europe as well. We did that whole Netherlands, uh, Belgium, Germany corridor. We had a ball over there, and we still occasionally go out and do shows. So pretty much I have the Magoos. I've got Barnaby Bye does occasional, and I'm looking to still uh, do one or two some balance things and no just way. keep that going. So it, it it's fun. I'm just enjoying it. That is great. Good for you, Peppy. I had no idea. I mean, I... Uh, <laughs> Doing a show. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's why, is to shed light on music that's good, you know? You know? I'm so glad. I'm so glad it's out there. Thanks. I have a solo CD I recently just put out. Oh, I know. I've listened to it a few times. And that's fun. That's up on SoundCloud. And I do, I, you know, even I think my son may have put one or two things up on, on YouTube, you know, just yeah. with some basics. And that's yeah. fun. I got one or two cuts there where I've got Joey Kramer on that. I and, know. Uh, I saw that. Playing drums. And yeah, so I, you, know, uh, you don't get okay. Joey to do things like that. Yeah. Well, call so on was, your friends, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. if you got it, friends in high places. So it was nice them. to have have him come come to my aid as a friend. I th- that was really sweet of him. Yeah. yeah. Wiggy Bits is really obscure. It, uh, again, another way ahead of its time, nine, 1976, yeah. yep. And we were managed by Tommy Matola. Are you serious? No. Wow. Barnaby so that would have been... Signed. I've had more shoulda, woulda, coulda bands starting off at the top. No kidding. Barnaby no Bly, we, we got signed by Ahmed Erdogan on our first show. No way. Yeah, yeah. Wow. He, he co-produced our first album with us. PBS did a whole thing on him after he passed away. Yeah. There's some great shots of, of him with us in the studio back then with Barnaby Bly. So we made it to the video, and that that's in there. We were his pets. He loved us. He came to our first wow. show. Wow. Took us back to his house, and in two weeks we were signed to, to no it. Way. Yeah, so now, so I don't know that much about Barnaby Bly. How many albums did you guys put out? We did two albums. The second one is far and away to me better than the first. production of hair mm-hmm. back in the day and I met the twins Billy and Bobby Alessi in the cast they were in the show and oh, wow. so we used to sit and jam and go walk to go to the studio around the corner all the time and play at this guy's studio David Lucas and so when the show ran out of steam I left the show and Billy and Bobby stayed in the show but when the show closed we started Barnaby Bye. And we rehearsed wow. for seven days in my apartment, and we we got a gig at a place in New York. And who was in the audience but Ahmed Erdogan on our first show? He Crazy. flipped over us, took us back to his house, his brownstone that he owned in the Upper East oh, Side. Yeah. And uh, that's it. In two weeks, we were signed to Atlantic. 
crazy. Pretty you've crazy. been, you've done it all, Peppy. I assume the balance and blues magoos were probably your two highest profile ventures, Please. right? It's going to take a lot more magic to break this bed. I know I'm going to be for a lot of trouble. I can tell. Cause it can't People most often associate you with. I mean, now uh, we've added Wiggy Bits and Barnaby well, Bai. And, you know, I, I mean, it's like, you know, I guess I'm fortunate to be able to say that I have all these years into it, but I really do have half a century into this stuff. You do. You, you do. Know? It's amazing. And, for instance, I met Sebastian Bach, right? When I met <laughs> Sebastian Bach, you know, who just got married. And oh, he, I know. I love him. I love him. He is the quintessential rock star, you know. Yeah, he sure he is. He is Mr. Rock and Roll as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So he meets me and he's all over me and he's going, oh, it's such an honor, it's such an honor. And I'm like starting to get like, you know, like, oh, my God, Sebastian Bach knows who I wow. am. How is this? And I'm thinking yeah. this is really cool. And then he goes, you were on Paul Stanley's solo album. Though I know that you Then, I, then it made sense to me. Of course, he's the yeah. biggest Kiss fan in the world. Oh and yeah. And I went, son of a gun. All right. I'm thinking, yeah. wow, he's too young. He's too young to know the Magoos. I'm thinking, I'm wondering who he knows. You know, or one. What, and then he comes right out with it and says, That's like, true. Oh, 
you know, it's because of my affiliation with Paul Stanley. That's and amazing. So, so You've that done it all. cracked me up. I have people yeah. come up to me because they know I taught Aces first bar chord, and they know me from that. You know, wow. people, people see you on records. You know, I've got some notoriety with in yeah. the Kiss camp for many years of, of you, doing yeah. those guys. You know, I've had two big records with Diana Ross. Take me for what you think I am, a woman ready to show. Love you more than you know What we give is so strong true It keeps me coming right back to you I know so well how hard it can be I know so well how it feels to be free Now I found a way of loving forever I found a key that keeps us together One of my early Barnaby Buy songs called Happy Was the Day We Met. That was a big record for me. That was on one of her old albums. for people and just kind of doing bands like Balance and stuff like that, I fell into the jingle business in New York. Five or six of the people I've interviewed for this podcast have done jingles. I guess it's a great income. It's a great way for an you know, artist you know, back or a musician in the day, to make a living. Back in the day, if you did a commercial as a product endorsement or uh-huh. you did jingles, the intellectuals and the so-called artists would like to label you as a sellout. But by the time I was 19, I was a has-been. I'd already been ripped off by the managers, by the producers, by really? the publishers, by everything. I got so ripped off that I, I was I was done. I was like a hasn't. Yeah. That's why yeah. I joined Hair and I acted because I wanted to know that I could do something else other than music and being rock and roll because no I just way. said, okay, great. The, I had a great ride. I was a child rock and roll star and all of a sudden yeah. now I'm on the seat of my ass going, yeah. what happened? You know. And then I just started to realize, you know what, if you write a song, and you're in your home, and you write that song, and you record it for yourself or whatever, and you have a great time, and you love that, what you do, that's great. The minute you walk out that door, and you want to sell that song, you want to get with a record company or anything, that's the sellout. It yeah. doesn't matter whether you're selling soap for Procter & Gamble or the big shot at uh, Universal, you know, are are taking you to the cleaners, ripping you off, owning your masters. It's all the same thing. So back then, I just looked at everybody and I said, no, no, no. You want to see a sellout? The minute you take that song outside of your house and you want to make a buck with it and you want to, yep. you want to earn a living from this, you're in the capitalistic society. Very and true. It, 
matter whether they're who is for a record company or Madison Avenue. At least yep. in Madison Avenue, you got to win it and you got to earn it. You know. Yeah. Very and you're, true. You're up against the best in the business. So I kind of left that one years and years mm-hmm. ago when I did it, and I just said, no, no, no. This this is what it is. If you don't want to be sure. a seller, sit home, write your song, keep it for yourself, keep it in your keep it in your home, and you're exactly. fine. But the minute well, you want to get press, the minute you want yeah. to you know publicity, the minute you want to just sign on the dotted line to a publisher, to yeah. uh, um, to people to collect your royalties, to the management, to the booking agency, you know, you, you're the first guy yeah. that starts the product, and you're the last one to get paid. So it's a thankless business, yeah. and I just said, you know what, screw it. It didn't it didn't matter for me. I didn't mind it. I mean, other than the fact that it was an extremely high-pressured business because you really, really had to perform. And if you didn't carry your weight, you felt like an asshole, you know. Yeah, because, yeah. Because you have well, to now let me, let me ask you this. You've got a list here on your website of all these different companies that you did jingles for. Were any of them jingles that we might still remember today? Oh, of course. Sure. Really? Tons of them. Tons of Tell them. Tell me. Sing hey, me hey, John, some. John, I used to walk into a supermarket. Uh-huh. And I would walk around the supermarket, and after 20 years, I would just look on the shelves and go, now what haven't I done? <laughs> oh, it's easier to count what you haven't done versus sung, what you have done. In fact, I had Balance do tons of rock spots for Budweiser. Really? Michael Bolton, before he broke and actually got an income, I saved his ass many times. We were managed by the same people, and they okay. would beg me. They would yeah. literally beg me, can I get Michael and can I get him a spot? So I got Michael some of these I'm a Budman blues spots. You know, no I'm a Budman, you know. Uh-huh. I sang all those, for all you do, the king of beers is coming through. For all you do, this bud's for you. I sung no tons way. of them. Balance must have did about eight to ten different rock arrangements on those things. We did soft wow. ones like American Dream with strings and everything else. All of it ran. It all ran. Wow. I mean, between the cars and the sodas and the underarm deodorants yeah. and candy. I even did so many obscure jingles. I even sang on every bounty commercial for 15 years. No you know, way. Picker, 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 upper. Uh-huh. All those things. You would never know it, but I'm in there. Oh, I'm my gosh. Ever. With as many as you did and with as big as they were, I'm guessing you were making a pretty penny off this stuff. Or is it a one-time thing where you're a salaried employee and you just turn the stuff out? It's royalties. Good, yeah, because an actor would get a royalty every time their commercial played, so I assume the guy writing the music would too, Okay, my Christmas bonus for 20 years was a Budweiser spot. It ran from November 1st to maybe February 1st. Every year for 20 years, and all I did was hum... And it was just me, me and three or four other people. We just went. And you saw the Clydesdales. That was you. I was going to ask you if it was the Clydesdales. And they would say, from our family to your family. Yes. Yes. My wife wishes you a happy season. And every year they would run this thing. It was like a $10,000 Christmas bonus every Christmas for me for 20 years. That's Didn't one that spot. premiere during the Super Bowl, I think, one year? Oh, yeah. Oh, without a doubt. With yeah, Super I'm pretty sure Bowl that premiered during a Super Bowl. Over the years, I had stuff on the Super Bowl, and I would sit there and go, and they would tell me in the studio, they would go, oh, yeah, this is going to be shown on the Super Bowl. Uh-huh. It's like 
you know, and back then, I'm talking 10, 20 years ago, they were paying two million bucks for a 30 second spot. Yeah. You know, wow. One shot, you know, and yeah. then they would run all year. So the beauty of it, I would write them to ensure that I would sing on them. So sure. Some, so something like get your ski shined up, grab a, st- a stick of juicy fruit. No <laughs> way! I remember that one too. That thing ran for around ten years. Yeah. Sure. They put snow skis, and in the summer they put water skis. So oh my gosh! Run this spot, and we would just come in and update and do different arrangements, like bouncing. Yeah. I must have done a bucket load of arrangements. We've done everything from new bounty fun prints, like little country western spots, everything, even you know chocolate wow. crunches when it crunches. That's why uh-huh. I love Nestle Crunch. You know, oh my gosh! We even did a Gregorian chant on that thing with a Russian sub coming up. Oh, oh, oh. In your and then this Russian Navy guy bites into a Nestle's Crunch, and then you hear, that's why I love Nestle Crunch. You know, oh my so, gosh. so to answer your question in no uncertain terms, yes, it was very lucrative. Yeah, it gave me a nice afterlife. Right. Not in my songwriting and other things that I do, live performances and things like that. You know what? I'm very yeah. lucky. I'm very fortunate. Good I, for you. Or, you know, if I live within my means, I can, yeah. I can just be retired and call it a day. Good and for so, you. You know, but I'm, wow. I'm crazy. I go out. I've got the Blues Magoos at the Westbury uh, Music Fair in Long Island, February 6th. It's the Magoos, the Vanilla Fudge, and Blue Oyster Cult. It's going to be a great show. No way. I yeah. haven't seen those guys in years, but it's great. I'll, I'll see them on February 6th. I do a lot of strange things. You know, a lot of the old acts go back and re-record their hits because uh-huh. they don't own the masters. Exactly. Yep. So if they want to work, for instance, like an act like a, like Vocal Hall of Famous Jamie Americans, they came to me eight years ago so that I would re-record all their hits, and they had an extensive amount of hits in the 60s, just before I had hit records, you know, I was listening to them, so, uh-huh. you know, they're a little older than me, so I love these guys, I love their stories, you know, I used to listen to them when I'm, wow. you know, 12 and 13 and 14, you know, mm-hmm. then by the time I'm 17, I have my own hit record, you know, but now I work with them, I go out and play bass with them on the East Coast, I do all their dates, you know, anything, uh, anything wow. Northeast, and I produce all their records with them and one of the other guys. So I do that. I produce the Gong Show, the old TV show. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That's an off-Broadway show now? It's an off-Broadway show. It's fabulous. We are the only licensed people to do the show. Sony owns the property. The original guy... Chuck Barris, Chuck who, Barris in, right. who started the TV show, who was the guy behind the whole thing, he sold uh-huh. the property out to Sony years ago. And my my partner, who's a, a radio personality known as the Radio Chick, also happens to be Carmine Apice's fiance. So it's all on the sensuous. You know, Carmine and her are close. Leslie no Gold way. is her name. She's known as the Radio Chick. She licensed the property from Sony, and we do it live in a theater. We are like a theatrical recreation of the TV show, and it's drop-dead hilarious. It's that would be so funny. Hysterical. We yeah. have like 35 acts we rotate. No way. Oh, and yeah. how long has this been going on for? This has been going on for about a year and a half. We're oh, now cool. talking to the Subway Corporation for a possible sponsorship to do an eight-week run in Manhattan. Lieber Krebs, back in the day, they were my managers. I don't know if you know who they uh, are. I do, yeah, sure. Where, 
they were huge. They yeah. produced a musical for me in 1978 out in uh, Beverly Hills. It was called Zen Boogie. And I won a, a Drama Logs Outstanding Achievement uh, Award for wow. that. So I still stay involved in theater. Uh, yeah. Uh, got a, I've got a show I'm writing now, which is kind of Steve Lieber has commissioned me. But, you know, wow. Steve was my manager with David Krebs, and they did Beatlemania and the Moscow yeah. Circus and Ninja Turtles. and Crazy. Then they yeah. done a lot of, they were also the guy if you're a product of the eighties, do you remember mm-hmm. all the world jams that went all over there? There was the Texas World Jam, they had them they threw them all over. I don't know if I recognize that. Oh yeah. World I bet jam. you that I bet you you see a lot. These yeah. are the guys that put all the big packet shows in the stadiums. And Interesting. Stuff, yeah. Because their acts, they had all their own acts, so they put their yeah. own acts. They put Nugent and Aerosmith, you know. Oh and, yeah. And you know, and Death wow. Or golden earrings, scorpions, right, they right, guys. You know, interesting. So they were huge, so they really knew knew the world of screen uh, yeah. and booking and all that stuff. And so, you know, so I got a property going now, but you know, I'm very, very thankful. I'm very lucky, and I got to tell that. you, during my tenure in the jingle business, I used to get phone calls every single week from guys I know, talented, really, ass musicians, begging yeah. me. I get them in. Can I get I them bet. in? I get them I in. Bet. Because, you know, it was a quick buck. You could go in there. Yeah. You know, I yep. mean, you know, they yep. thought it was a quick buck, but it wasn't a quick buck because, you know. Well, it's competitive. Stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, and I would imagine it's probably like most things where you get this job and you do a couple and they're successful, and so you become kind of the go-to guy. That's what other people I've interviewed who have done jingles have said as well. It's like, oh, when, you know, you, become, you get on a roll. We know we can count on Pepe Castro to deliver for us, and so someone get us the pep, get us Pepe Castro because he can do it. Well, you see, I was even I even hedged my bets even better than that. What I did was I went exclusively with a company who were part I was oh. part of the studio with, and these Got were my buddies. But we started a writers co-op show. Hmm. It was me and one of the biggest Broadway writers out now, a woman by the name of Lynn Ahrens, Doug Katsaris, who was in balance with me. I pulled Dougie in. So yep. we were like three or four people as writers. So if we, each one of us won four or five national spots a year, then we all sang on them. So, yeah. then, so then we'd get to sing on 20 national spots, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and that stuff ran all year, and some of these things ran years and years and years. You know, yeah, at yeah. Kodak spots that lasted forever. Mm. I've had things wow. that just kept coming back, and then there was sports music I would write for the networks, you know, wow. for CBS Sports and things. So it became very diversified, and That's crazy. It, it's just, and not only that, it kept you sharp. Because oh, I bet. Yeah. Every day you had to be on your toes. Every day you right. had to. You know, if you didn't deliver next, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, you were, sure, you're out of there. You know, yeah, yeah. That's why the guys who played on these things were all the best musicians in the world. That's amazing. You know, amazing. the David Letterman band, all all those guys. Oh like, yeah, sure. I've done hundreds of jingles with those guys, with Anton Fig and Will Lee and Paul Schaefer and all those. Yeah. Guys. The, yeah. the horn section, Tom Bones, Malone, all of them, you know. And then there are all the other great drummers, 
you know, Steve Gadd, uh, yeah. Andy Newmark, who played, you know, uh, Alan Schwartzberg. I mean, the just the who's who of That's drummers. Amazing. You know, amazing. And you performed with all these guys. So let me let me ask you this then. I mean, did it ever frustrate you that while you were having all this success in corporate America and advertising, that your bands weren't having kind of equal success? Let's take out the jingle stuff. If I'm just judging your musical career, right, nothing else, I well, see like, a bunch you know, of promising bands that didn't get over the hump all the way. You know what I mean? You know what? I think I'm, I'm just not that type of a personality. Oh, really? So you're you fine. Know? You like dabbling in these things. You like going into a band, putting something out there, then you get a different whim, a different kind of artistical impulse, and you go a different direction. Well, you know what it is? Take take the words depression, okay, being depressed, mm-hmm. yeah, and disappointed, you know, yeah, yeah. You can be angry in both modes, you know. You can be yeah. angry and depressed, and you can be disappointed and depressed. Yeah, that's true. You know, was I disappointed? Absolutely. My heart and soul was into it, and things like mm-hmm. that. The way I would justify it is that a long time ago. After the Magoos, at the ripe old age of 19, you know, I made a pact with myself that I would rather do something new than become an imitation of myself. Mm -hmm. So that if I saw myself 40 years down the road for 40, 50 years singing, we ain't got nothing yet, and it Uh didn't even resemble we ain't got nothing yet because I've had to play it so many times for 40 years that... I was okay with less notoriety, but being more fulfilled on an artistic, good, creative good. level. Okay. And a guy who always impressed me like that was Todd Rundgren. Yeah, that makes sense. That I makes always sense. appreciated Todd Rundgren because he was never afraid to go back to the beginning yeah. and start all over again and start things and always got into new endeavors and things like that. My love, na 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 once there was a boy and girl. Boy said, I love you so. Girl said, I'll never leave you. They grew older and left each other. That's the way love goes. That's the way love goes. Then there's a time. Seems like you'll never find Someone willing to love you Keep on looking, you'll soon discover A mighty love Sometimes wake up, a whip and roll Say a mighty love You say no day by the telephone As you roll along, you need a mighty love Some say that you're sure to find True love and peace of mind I had a lot of respect for him in that, you know. And so talk about a guy who does exactly what he wants. That's That's my out from being depressed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because yes, balance was a shoulda, woulda, coulda band. And when you go back and you look at the possibilities and what why it didn't happen or, or it should have, and they certainly had everything to offer, you know, it was just a, a series of events, a chain of events. Yeah. 
that happened that made it go that way. But you know what? The icing on the cake for me was last year in Sweden, the band was revered. Mm -hmm. It was great to see me and my partners get up there after all those years just to a crowd of adoring, cheering fans who had never heard the music live, who couldn't believe we came together for some shows. And that was a lot of fun. You know, yeah, good, of good. course, in this day and age, it's very hard for an act to do that because yeah, it's just sure the, the, the financial logistics are excruciating oh, yeah. Yeah, with what you definitely. have to do. I'm okay with it. And then there are people like yourself who discover it. Yeah, right. You know? It's like this little no beautiful little it. diamond in the rough. You find it and it makes you, your life better. You know, you can't deny it. You no, can't deny you can't. it. It was that good. Balance was yeah. definitely that good. We I were agree. we were definitely an East Coast Toto. We were a musicians musician band, without yeah. a doubt. You know, the music was first class. The the caliber, the production, the every, everything. It was just it was just really really so a great much. super band. I was probably in my vocal prime. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. That's why going out doing last summer in Sweden was a thrill for me because I didn't know who was going to show up. You know, uh, right, you know I asked right. everybody, hey, guys, can we tune the guitars down a half step just so I get a little break in singing <laughs> this stuff? You know, and so we tuned right. down a half step. And, you know, and I found that I got I could get through a bunch of shows and right. I still had it to do. And th- that was more right. encouraging to me than anything. So now I'm like all over it. Yeah, you want to go back? Let's go back. You want to yeah, do some yeah. gigs? I'm, I'm game. You That's know? great. Well, let me ask you this. Now, there's apparently a third balance album called Equilibrium, right? I, that's another one. I can't find that anywhere. They're good, just as well. <laughs> really? Oh, oh wow. I think I heard one. There was, I found one song on YouTube, and that was it. Well, you know, there was one or two songs on that. There was a song called Breathe that I loved that I wrote with Kulik in honor of my wife who had passed away. Suddenly I feel like I can't deny There's a blow around the corner here Teasing and telling me what to do In time I know that I Will come back to living my life You can take my past and make it end Show me the way to just love again Come on, breathe Breathe my pain away Cause when she died I threw my heart away I never thought I'd see this day Just breathe Show me love again Cause when you walk into my life I knew I never wanna be away from you She was a beautiful girl and just younger than me, but uh, ovarian cancer right. came in and, and did that. Yeah. And so this song, Breathe, had very personal meaning to me because okay. it was, you know, for me it was about, you know, my wife and yeah. stuff. But what happened was that, that I had a huge riff which, with Kulik since we patched up. He got offered a deal through this obscure label in Italy that does this stuff uh, called Frontiers. But 
They didn't have a lot of money, so Kulik was saying, come on, we can do it over the Internet. I'll cut the drums and guitar tracks here. I'll send you, you know, I'll send you the stuff. Yeah. You, you put your stuff on the files and, you know, and my whole stipulation and the whole thing was predicated, you know, I didn't care about the money. I just wanted to be artistically okay with it. Yeah, yeah. And so I just told Kulik, and uh, it, my my whole thing was like, well, I'll do it. I just want to know if there's anything I want artistically changed that that's mm. not a big deal that that'll happen. That didn't happen. <laughs> and oh, I was, no. And I was furious really? at him because oh, no. um, it was it to me it was a poor man's balance record. I was so pissed off at him at the end of the record that I requested that my name be taken off of it on the on the Seriously? Uh, yeah uh, wow. in the credits because it was a poor man's balance and I didn't like it. Hated the way he EQ'd the drums. I wasn't crazy about what his partner played on certain things and I wanted to change certain things, but I was really not happy with the way he was mixing it. And you know, he kinda of pulled a little power trip well it was my deal yeah. and you know, to be done in my studio and blah 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 and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Right. If you do find it equilibrium, which I'm sure you can find I have a song that I put on my C D called Who You Gonna Love that I have Joey Paul. I always thought a change would never come That you and I were as good as being one Who'd ever thought we'd let it slip away No, life can deal some crazy heavy blows I tried to cover up, but now it really shows That's just the way it is, there's nothing left to say In the middle of the night, who you gonna love to the broad daylight? Who you gonna love when the sun goes down? Who you gonna love, baby, now that I'm not around? Joey played on the same cut because it's the, it, it's in essence the same cut. Because okay. I actually had the file. So I had the drum file because I recorded mm. the drums with Joey on it, mm. mm-hmm. you know. And yep. the label didn't even want to put it on the record because they thought it was too bluesy instead of oh. a, a rock song. Meanwhile, yeah. the the record came out and I had nothing but fan mail saying how much they loved the song. So, oh, you wow. know, that Good. stuff. But for my own validation, what I did was when I knew I was going to do my own CD, I took the masters because I hated what what they did to Joey's drums. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Joey's a you know, yeah, our Swiss yep. drums always sound great, and you know, oh, and I had it yep. sounding great, and they just squashed the hell out of this thing, and oh, I was man. not happy with it. So what I did was I took the basic track, I resung it, redid some of the guitars on it, and I redid the track for myself on my own solo CD because we own the masters and we licensed that record to Frontiers, so I could legally do that, and I changed some yeah. things on it. And then what I did was I did it the way I heard it mixed, and right. I sent it. I sent both cuts to the editor of Modern Drummer. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I just said, okay, 
you tell me which one you like better. You tell me which one you like better. And he right. emailed me back, and he said, far and away, you're cut. Oh, uh, right on. Right Blows on. the okay. other one away, and Joey's yeah. drums sound great. So, you know, yeah. I was like, okay. So, you know, but that was all water under the bridge, and that thing came out. So I didn't stand uh, behind that record because I feel like it cheapened what we did in the 80s. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's too bad. Granted, a band as good as yours comes back together. You should feel good about what you put out there. That's too bad. Perfect, it's a wasted well, opportunity. In a perfect world, and are there some great stuff on there? Yes, there's definitely some great stuff on there, but I was not happy with the production. You know, uh, I even had a friend of mine who was a world class engineer. You know, this guy even recorded Elvis Presley. I mean, he. Oh wow. He right. did John Lennon's last two records, and, you know, this was the engineer yeah. on all those dates. He offered to mix for me, and Kulik wouldn't have it, and he had the masses out there in L.A. and stuff like that. And so, you know, it was just like, you know, it was unfortunate. You know, are there some great stuff on there? Yes, there's some great stuff on there. But you know what? We never even saw each other. I know. Oh, you know, I yeah. spend one day with him in the studio yeah. on yeah, that project. Yeah, record. Okay. There was no budget. The money wasn't there. So it was kind of like, yeah. well, all right, we've waited all these years. If we're going to do it, now's the time because somebody's mm. offering us some bonus money to, to do this. And so it was sad. You know, I was I was unhappy yeah. about it. But I buried the hatchet with him, and we went out, and we had some dates, and we have a great Good. time. And that's Good. it. So now if I do Good. something new with balance, I've learned my lesson. It'll be more to your standards, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll control the playing field Good. a little more from my Good. own thing. Okay. I have my own studio and okay. write something and ask these guys to jump on it, and maybe we'll just throw something out on YouTube. Yeah, great. Okay. Well, good. I think I mentioned this before. One of the focuses of this podcast is kind of the money side, right? Like how, like I said, how do you pay your bills, especially if you are more of an obscure artist? That's been right. well established now how you've done that. You've been successful in all, all these other areas. It's allowed you to pretty much jump around doing whatever – you know, artistic thing kind of tickles your fancy at the moment. What led you to finally putting out a, a solo album? Because as someone like you, I would you would have dabbled in that long ago, and maybe you did, and it just didn't. It, no, I think it was I 2013, I, I right? I never did. I was always a band guy. People always asked me to do it forever and ever and ever and ever. Uh, and I think one of the things that happened was that after all this time now and all the bands and stuff like that, and I have a library of songs that just sit. See, one of the things, you see, I'm probably my own worst enemy when Mm. it comes to business or being a businessman because I don't like the art of business pretty much because most of it, people fancy themselves, it's like Donald Trump, you know, it's the art of the the deal, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like Mm -hmm. to screw somebody is the badge of courage, you know. Like what kind of a deal can I get Oh, wait, you know, how much can I get from me and screw yeah. the other guy? Yeah, you, know, you don't like playing that game. I know what you I don't mean. like playing that game. So even yeah. in the jingle business, I never knocked on a door. It came to me. And the best things in my life were things that did come to me. So mm-hmm. I was not somebody to go knock on doors. So, But I still love the creative process. So I started sitting around thinking to myself, oh, wow, you know, I'm really, like, sitting on a ton of material over the decades. I have songs that that's crazy. What happened was I just started thinking about, well, you know what, it would be nice to see some of these things that have the light of day. And as a yeah. songwriter, I don't hold myself to any one particular bag. And with the demise of the record companies, 
I felt a more sense of like, well, you know what? I can just have fun with this for myself. I can write what I want to write. I don't have to be concerned with bagging yeah. myself. Right. I can do it as a kind of songwriter's compilation compendium kind of a deal. And I just started picking out songs that I liked or that I was writing and things like that. And I just figured, you know what? I'm going to do this for me and my friends and my fans. And right. Anybody that wants to come along for the ride and appreciates what I do. I'm Good happy I did it. I yep. also did something that's never been, you know, if you, you send me your dress, I'll, I'll send you a hard copy on one. Because oh, I, I love did it. something that's brilliant on it. And, and it is brilliant. And so I'm not being full of myself. It's just brilliant because I'm the first person who's ever done this, which shocked me greatly. But I've received a lot of nice articles and a lot of press on this. Okay, so imagine this. There's 12 sure. songs on the CD. Right? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Are you talking about the credits? Yes. Sorry to cut you off, but yeah, I've been listening to it on Spotify. And then after it's done playing, each song has like a minute or two of you explaining some backstory about it. It's genius. It's, Especially it now when people aren't buying hard copies anymore. So they well, can't, you know, no that. one's reading the liner notes. You're putting it in there for them. You don't, and where are you going to put liner notes on a CD? Yeah, yeah. There's no room for it. You know? Yeah. So I figured this is great. This will connect the listener. This gets them to understand the song, how it was written, where it came by. So I made the credits to the CD as audio files. Yeah. yeah Researched the hell out of it. And I was <laughs> shocked that nobody had ever done this before. And I see people copying it now, which is the greatest form of flattery. Totally. So yeah. I'm okay with that. But I you. love that I did that. I love that I have articles claiming that I am the first at doing it. That's great. And that makes me really happy. You know, so yeah. You want to know what my favorite song on there is? Is I Wanted Us to Last. So I must admit it's tough taking you on. But I'd rather have you here with me than seeing you I said, the whole song was written based on that lick. 
And I said, play it, keep playing it, keep playing it. Oh, and, went, sure. and, and, and all of a sudden, I just started throwing these, like, Steely Dan type yes. uh, keyboard yes. changes on it, and his eyes opened up. He lit up like a Christmas tree. He was like, I love it. Whoa! You know, yeah. he, didn't even, he didn't even imagine it like that. And then I asked for his blessings. I said, listen, do you mind if I just remember this? I'm just right. going to write a song around this thing. That's yeah. one of my favorite songs good. on the CD, too. You good, know? good, good. That's great. you got good ears. And it's not oh, your, your typical rock thing, but that was the fun of doing a CD. I didn't oh, have no. anybody's yeah, crap or bag myself. I could do a song like Just Like an Animal next yeah. to that. So I tried to do things for other people and just little things and appease myself, like the song Make Me Over. Too many things that I know I want Can't help feeling like I'm It's got a feeling. I've seen people react to that song. Yeah, it's just uh, on and on yeah. and on, you know. Right just, on. That's great. So it was just fun. And the fun thing was how I came up with the title because of Richie Havens. What's the connection to Richie Havens in Just Beginning? Well, if you listen to the last credit, which is track 24 on uh-huh. the CD, you'll hear it. The connection is because I told I the story. Have, Richie called that. me up on the phone about three years ago. Okay. Called me. So first of all, I met him when I was 15. Oh, wow. I, I was very close to him, and he was one of my biggest inspirations. I met him when I was really? 15. He walked into a, a little club. I'm standing on the stage. I'm the only person in the club. The, the Magoos, we had just finished a, a rehearsal. I'm 15 years old. I don't even know we were called the Magoos. We may have still been the trench coats then, you know. <laughs> And I'm standing on stage, and Richie walks in and goes, hey, kid, you in a band? And I went, yeah. He said, you want to hear a song? I said, sure. He takes out his guitar. His hands were huge. He puts out five pages of lyrics. He says, I've been working on this song for two weeks. And he sings me one of the songs off of his first album he ever did, and it was I Will Follow. Let the river rock you like a cradle. Climb to the treetops, child, if you're able Let your hands tie a knot across the table Come and touch the things you cannot feel And close your fingertips 
And fly where I can't hold you Let the sun rain fall And let the dewy clouds enfold you And maybe you can sing to me The words I just told you If all the things you feel ain't what they seem Then don't mind me Cause I ain't nothing but a dream And I will follow My yeah. mouth dropped And I was just like, oh my God, this guy is a messenger. He just hit me. So now it's all these years later. I know him all these years. I hired Richie to come in and do all the, Richie sang all the Amtrak commercials for me. Oh, wow. You know, all aboard Amtrak. Yeah. All aboard Amtrak. That's right. That's right. That was Richie. Oh, he has such a great voice. I did four or five Amtrak spots with Richie on that. Crazy. Where he would come in and would be like a hoot, like, look at us. Yeah. So now he wow. calls me up to tell me the Cannes Film Festival has hired him to do a command performance for Sean Penn. They're giving Sean Penn an award. And because they were giving him an award, they asked him who his favorite recording artist was. And he said, Richie Havens. So really? They got, so they got in touch with Richie, and they hired Richie to do a guest set for Sean Penn. No way. And Richie's all stoked about this and calls me up and says, man, can you believe that? I can't wow. How cool is that? And I said to him, I said, Richie, I said, you and I are getting away with murder to be doing what we're doing no, at this age. And he went, in a real hippie voice, he went, hey, man, I'm just getting started. I'm just Oh, getting. good for him. And that's what he said to me. And I wow. laughed and I said, you son of a bitch. I said, Richie, when okay. I hang up this phone, I am going downstairs and I am going to write a song called Just Beginning. Nice. Only just beginning. your door if you just feel alive walk down the road and just look to the sky life is waiting for you now stay a while break a smile cause we're only just beginning cause it's all happening What's going on? And you'll just be okay if you're feeling strong. There's a world out your door if you just feel alive. Come on, walk down the road and just look to the sky. It's your life waiting for you. Just go with the breeze. Trust in yourself and take care of And that's nice. it. And then it's how oh, so he good. passed away. And that's why I titled the record and I put it last. Oh, I, mu I thought I listened to all the credits. I must have missed that one. No, Shoot. that's the very well, I'll last one. I'll go back one. and listen to it. Because I've been listening to the album a few times. 
Yeah, it's track 24. It's the yeah, last yeah. I tell that I story, you know? Oh, that's great. Okay, I'm going to go back. And you know, that's why I called it. I'm yeah. so unenterprising that I have never even taken that CD out of my goddamn house to even <laughs> sit with anybody, and I've never even hustled anybody or solicited anybody wow. in Europe or anything to license it and distribute it in different territories or even put it out. I did it for me, and whoever so wants it. Are there my, physical copies? Could I, I go on Amazon I, yeah, and buy it? Uh, I've, I've got the whole I'd thing. Love it. I've got, oh, my I've gosh, got I'd photos, love it. everything, the whole, the whole deal awesome. on it. Send me your address, and I'll uh, send you one out. You know what? Oh, I'd love it's, that. it's like my labor of love. Could yeah. I do that and bust my ass? I guess if I was so hungry and so young and yeah. felt a dying need to have to validate myself or something, right. Maybe I would do that, but for me... Well, now it's almost like a gift to yourself, isn't it? I mean, you've put in 50 years practically in this business, and you've been acquiring songs and experiences and maturity and wisdom, and you're like, I'm going to do one for me. And so you make just beginning for yourself, right? Yep, it was a labor of love. I did it for me. awesome. I have people that love that thing to death, but I've never knocked on a door for it. I've never hustled it. I've never, about all I, the the worst I've done is I I put it up on SoundCloud just so it's there so people could listen to it, but the credits aren't on that. I don't even know how it got on Spotify. Oh, wow. Wow. I've been listening to it for days now on Spotify. Have you ever seen these chiller conventions? No. What are they? Yeah, they're conventions. There's one in New Jersey. It's going from October 23rd, 24th, and 25th, or something like that. It's on my Facebook page. On Facebook, I'll go look and for it. Go down a few pages, and you'll, you'll see the Chilla Theater. Well, Ralph Scaler from the Magoos and I, we got asked to do it. It's just old, great sci-fi and chiller theater-type stuff, and all these old actors show up. But everybody's done it. All the rock gods have done it, Alice Cooper and all this kind of stuff. And so he asked me, would we do it? And I said, you know, I didn't know if I had the dates cleared. I looked. I said, you know what? I have the dates cleared. I can do it. I'll do it. So it's good. And then my little roadie calls me up and says, you're not going to believe it. Ace is doing it, too. Ace Freely? Really? So Ace is doing the convention, too. So he goes, I can't believe you and Ace are going to be there. No way. Okay, all right. So so that'll be funny. I'm sure sure I'll bump into him. That leads me to the thing that I wanted to make sure we talked about, and that's a kiss connection. So i got to tell you a little story here. I have three kids, and they are ages eight, six, and three. And about two and a half, three years ago, I became obsessed with kids. And I know, I always know who they were, obviously, but about three years ago, I thought, I need, I'm just going to go buy every Kiss album. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go completely all in on Kiss. Now, my kids are little, little kids at the time, right? Five years old, two years old, three years old. And they become obsessed with Kiss. So they were Kiss for Halloween. In fact, my Facebook page, page picture is me and my kids dressed as kids. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it, yeah. Yeah. Right. So just last weekend, my kids and I were going on a little bit of a road trip. I have like 2,000 CDs. And I said, guys, go grab whatever CDs you want. We'll listen to them in the car. And my daughter, the eight-year-old, pulls out Paul Stanley's album. And my son, who's six, pulls out Destroyer. And so we get in the car. We listen to him. Paul's solo album is maybe my favorite Kiss-related album. One or two. It's up there. I love it. So I'm reading the liner notes. And I see your name in there. And I was like, you guys, guess what? The guy singing this song 
I'm interviewing him in just a few days. And they and they were like, really? Can will you ask him what it's like to work with Paul? Will you ask him if he met Paul and if Paul's nice and all this kind of stuff? And the other thing too was I said they said what's his name and I said Pepe Castro. And so now my daughter calls you pepperoni casserole. Uh, I hope that's okay. <laughs> Yeah. I love it. Pepperoni so, casserole? Pepperoni casserole. So uh, just before daughter, I, I called gonna, you. You tell your daughter I'm going to post that on my Facebook page. Oh, please do. Please do. She'll be so happy. So just before our interview, I said, her name's Georgia. I said, Georgia, is there anything you want me to be sure and ask pepperoni casserole on our interview? She said, I really want to know what it was like <laughs> working with Paul. Now, keep in mind, this girl's eight. Right, we met Paul last year at a book signing here in Denver, and it's like the biggest moment of her life. So uh, you got to tell me yeah. some kid stories. Tell me now, was it Bob Kulick that got you connected with? Well, no, I guess it was no, the other no, way around, no, right? You would have done kids first. Yeah, never mind. So how did you how did you get in there? Oh, it was Paul who reintroduced me to Bob. Really? Okay. I knew Bob from the 60s in the village. He was in a band back then while I was in the Magoos, before the Magoos had a hit. And I remembered, I didn't know him well, but I would see him walking around the village. And so I knew who he was. And one day Paul comes over to my apartment with Bob and introduces me to Bob. And I'm going, oh, my God, I know you. We yeah, haven't seen yeah. each other since, like, holy crap, since the village and stuff like that. So that was a trip. But Ace grew up in my neighborhood where I grew up as a kid. I grew up, I was born in Manhattan, but I was raised in the Bronx from 4 to 14. And so I can't wait to tell my girlfriend, pepperoni casserole. Pepperoni casserole. That's what we call you in our house now. (laughs) That's just a a trip. Ace had called me, and that was that connection. He called me as a kid, and he said, would I show him some stuff on guitar? I said, sure. You know, I had a hit record. I, I, I was not full of myself by any stretch. I've never been one of those. Sure. So that was it, and I started Ace off on guitar. So that was fun. Now it's no all way. these years later, and Carol Kay, the wonderful Carol Kay, is one of my – I mean, you know Carol, right? Do you know her? I'm trying to think. I know that name. How do I know that name? Oh, because she did publicity for them for years. She has uh, oh, her. Sure, 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 sure. Yep, yep, Chaos, yep. Okay. Chaos yep, Productions. Just Google Chaos, K-A-Y-O-S Productions. Yeah, and no, I know. I just read, in fact, I've read a few Kiss books in the last couple of years, so it just took and, me a minute and, to remember you that. Know, she yep. was thanked at the Hall of Fame by them, yep. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Carol is one of my dearest friends in life. She's family to me. Really? Paul was dropped dead in love with her. Oh, Really? Oh, big time. Oh, wow. Okay. Loved her to death. So it yeah. was Carol that introduced me to Paul. And so, and then we became a friend. But I'll tell you a funny kiss story. <laughs> okay? So this is for uh-huh. Georgia. She'll appreciate this. So now I'm the toast of L.A. I have a uh-huh. big billboard on Sunset Strip from my musical Zen Boogie. Okay. Right across the street from the Hyatt House, which everybody called the Riot House. Yep, yep. Okay. I, I know have, it well. I have one of the biggest musicals up in Beverly Hills. Now, mind you, L.A.'s a theater town. So, I, I mean, a movie town. So mm-hmm. having a theater piece do well there was big news because all working film actors want to be validated on the stage. So sure. theater's an important thing if you get your 15 minutes in L.A. So I'm living large. I'm living up in the Hollywood Hills with Barry Levine. I don't know if you know Barry. 
Barry know. was Kiss's photographer in all oh, his okay. years. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who conceptualized a gazillion, gazillion Kiss photos. He yep, was yep. really with them for for quite a while, yep. and they have a long history. So we were all friends. Paul loved the show. Paul would come with me, and they would. This is 1978, and they're filming the Kiss movie mm-hmm. in, in L.A. at the time. Paul and I, every other day, are going, let's go down to the theater, see the end of the show, see if you get a standing ovation. And we'd mm-hmm. run down there and do all that and have our fun. But I lived in this house with Barry. So now Barry, me, and Paul are in the house, and we're being complete a-holes. We're being uh-huh. real jerks. Where The lights are out in the house, we pulled the fuses, and we're literally running around the house smacking each other in the dark. Just being total goofballs, right? Right, right, right. So now I'm standing behind a wall, and I can see Paul in the shadows. I can see Paul and Barry, and I know they're behind the wall. And I figure, oh, good, I'm going to get the drop on them now. So I figure I'm going to jump out and just like, like, ah! and, uh-huh. and scare them, not even hit them, just scare them, because I know they're there, and they don't know where I am, right? Right, right. What I didn't know is that they were standing near the sink. And what I didn't know is that Paul had picked up a dish liquid or, or palm olive or Ajax right. or one of these dish liquids, which is nothing but pure concentrate, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I'm getting ready to scare him, and in the dark, I scream as loud as I can ah! in front of Paul. And Paul, like a jerk, squeezes the dishwashing liquid, and it goes right in my mouth. Oh no! <laughs> a dead hit right in my mouth. Within within twenty seconds, I think I'm I'm dying. Right, I, right. I am completely dying. I can't breathe. The burn in my throat is excruciating. They know something's wrong with me because I'm gagging beyond belief. They don't know what right. happens, but they turn on the lights and they see I'm gagging. And Paul goes. Peppy, do something. Wash your mouth out. Wash your mouth out. Like a friggin' jerk, I go over to the sink. Oh, and now it's just going to be suds everywhere, right? I have dishwashing liquid in my throat, a direct hit. So now I take the water, and I'm just trying to wash it out. Okay. Oh, that's great. Bubbles are coming out of my nose. (laughs) They're coming out of my mouth. Oh, that's terrible. I am gagging. I feel like I'm dying. The burn uh-huh. is excruciating. They are laughing their asses off. Paul is laughing beyond beyond imaginable. And uh-huh. the more water I put in my mouth, the more suds are coming out. Right, the worse it gets. <laughs> oh, that's anyway, great. You have to wash this out and dilute it and get it out of your system, right? Yeah, So yeah. I'm doing this. I'm choking, and I'm choking. These huge bubbles are coming out of, <laughs> out of my nose. And Paul says, and Paul says in front of Barry, he goes, Hey, Pippi, when you're done, do the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's dying. great! It was so friggin' funny. I couldn't. That is I couldn't great. It was just. Oh man! If what a great story. Ever, there was ever a video on this, it would be like a YouTube. Hit yeah. Yeah. And, oh my gosh, that is so great! A lot of, lot of, lot of. We, we had some really, really great times back then. You know? Good. 
I haven't hung or seen Paul, you know, in many, many, many years, but we really did spend a lot of time. He through Carol. Carol was his yeah. publicist and things like that. Carol ended up marrying Ricky Bird, who uh, just got voted into the Hall of Fame himself because he was Joan Jett's original. Joan Jett, yep, yep, you know? yep. And stuff. Wow. And so I'll leave you with that one. So oh, you can tell great. George that Paul Stanley squirted dishwashing liquid I in me. Will. These, these are two questions that I ask almost everybody that I've talked to. When you look back on your career, and, it, you know, it's, you're unique in this situation because I feel like your career is just as lively and busy now as it probably ever was. And it's been so varied that you're not even just a rock star. You're like five different things within this musical I wear career. a lot of hats without a doubt. You do. Yeah, yeah, you do. So when you look back on your career, what is like the biggest, the, the best memory just the tastiest, the first thing when you when you sit in that rocking chair and you're like, wow, I, I did it. What's the first thing that overwhelms your mind when you think of that? And then what is like the what's your biggest regret? First I want to know thing, the high and the low. First thing that overwhelms me is hearing we ain't got nothing yet on the radio. Yeah. 
they they had to pay me for callbacks because it yeah. far exceeded union rules and all that stuff. And it came down to John Rubenstein myself, and John Rubenstein was the son of Arthur Rubenstein, who was yep, like yep. world renowned symphony uh, yeah. conductor, concert sure. man. Yeah. And yep. so by the time it came down to that, and it came down to Pepe, it's down to you or John. You know, we obviously we only have room for one guy. You two were amazing. You beat out like 500 guys in L.A. You beat out 500 guys in New York. You guys are great. Mm-hmm. He said, Pepe, we're going to go with John, uh-huh. but we want you to be the understudy. Now, mind you, I'm all of like maybe 20 years old, mm-hmm. and I had the presence of mind to look at him. I said, and they wanted an answer, you know, yeah. they want you to be yeah. the understudy. And I was like, first of all, I was crushed. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was so heartbroken because after nine callbacks and 2,000 guys, to see it come down to Avis and Hertz, and they went, you know, it hurts. And, yeah, you know, I was yeah. Avis. I, that just slayed me to no end. You yeah. Know? But, and, yeah. And, and I just felt like, you know what, when I write a song, when I sing in my band, nobody tells me how to do it. I'm not singing mm-hmm. anybody else's words. I'm not, nobody tells me how to dance, how to move, what to say. Right. I said, you know what? I'm going to stick with music. And I said to them, I said, let me ask you something. I said, if the show's a big hit and you guys open up in L.A., I said, John will go do the show in L.A., right? He'll open up the L.A. show? Mm -hmm. They said, yeah. And I said, and you guys will bring in a big name to take over the role in New York? And their faces dropped, and they looked at me, and they couldn't back away from it. And they went, well, yeah, yeah, kind of. And I went, See ya. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're going to get screwed in this deal. And yeah. I went 20 years old. And I went, see ya. I'm done. Wow. But in, you. but in hindsight, yeah, I had a lot of balls to do that. I was yeah, walking no away kidding. from a, from a paycheck, time. from everything. And I've always wondered in this day, had I stayed in it, I probably mm. still would have made it on stage. I probably would have still stayed in the acting community. And I probably yeah. would have went on to some sort of a theatrical acting career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would have been kind of a break, right? I mean, it would have been probably your first, well, you've done hair, but it would have kind of kept your resume going and active. It would have kept my resume going, and you know what? There probably would have been a night or two where I did get on to get on stage and things like that. So I always kind of regretted not knowing how that would have panned out because the yeah. reason I got the call back is because a scout, a casting agent, saw me doing the lead oh, in air and said, okay. hey, this kid's good. Let's send him up for this. He'd be good. Yeah. And my thinking was like, well, wow, if I can nail an original role in an original yeah, movie, no, Joe, yeah. I was like, yeah. that is definitely worth staying in here. And when uh, it came down to me and John Rubenstein, I was like, yeah. I was wow. like crushed. That's amazing. You know, I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I got this, yeah. like this stuff. But I... I feel like my life probably would have been radically different, probably. Yeah, very different. Had I stayed into it. So that's really the only thing, because that was really a, a crossroads. Would acting or, or even musical theater, would that have been your first choice? And rock no, bands no, music, would have been... Music would have always been the first choice, but I had that. I uh-huh, already had okay. a hit record behind me. Yeah, that's me. true. That's true. So I did the Teen Star thing, so that was my base. I knew that yeah. was my bottom line. This sense. would have been like, but I would have yeah, not to grab this kind of opportunity yeah, and make yeah. the transition. And when I came second instead of first, I was like, mm, this guy's got to bask in the glory, and I'm going to sit on the side of the stage every yeah. night wanting to break his legs. Yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> Just sitting there like, when is my turn? Right? Yeah, that's the only thing I'd say that was a real crossroads in my life. 
believe some of the stuff this guy has accomplished? Can you believe the many roads he's traveled? He's done it all. By the way, huge, huge thanks to Marge Raymond, friend of the show. She was our guest for episode five. She is a mutual friend. She's the one who sort of bridged the introduction with Peppy, and I'm so grateful for her. Now, Peppy sent me that solo album that he talks about, Just Beginning. I've got a copy that I will mail to the first person who emails me at thehustlepod at gmail.com or tweets me on Twitter at thehustlepod that they would like that album. Peppy also sent me a copy of a new Blues Magoos album that came out last year. I would prefer not to send both those CDs to the same person. I'd like to kind of spread the wealth. So same rules apply. If you want the Blues Magoos, email me at thehustlepod at gmail.com or tweet me at thehustlepod and uh, with your address and I will send it to you, whoever the first person is that asks for them. Huge thanks to Peppy. What a good guy. Now, next week we are talking to Walter Egan. Walter is the man behind that wonderful hit from 1978, Magnet and Steel. You've heard it. If you don't know it by name, you know what it is. And one thing happens in this in this interview that has yet to happen in any of my interviews up to this point. Walter gets very personal about his love life. I will only tell you that his first couple of albums were produced by Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham. This was right around the time of rumors. Stevie sings on Magnet and Steel, so uh, you might be able to piece together where this is going. Please listen in next week. Wait till you hear these stories. He's a great guy. Huge thanks to Jan Makiewicz for producing this podcast. We love him. We love you guys. Keep listening. Tell your friends. Share it. Just trying to spread the gospel of great, interesting, under-the-radar music here. Talk to you all later. I can only feel it so long. I can